Chapter 14. Maniac loved his new life. He loved his new sneakers, the one Mrs. Beale bought for him. He loved the new quietness of his footsteps as he trotted Bow Wow through the early morning streets. He loved the early morning, the before the working people time, he called it, when even those who went to work the earliest were still sleeping behind their second-story shades, when it seemed as if the whole world had been created just before he woke up on his bedroom floor, the red brick rows of houses, even the windows resting from faces, the cool, silent sidewalks and streets, so quiet you could hear the water running far below the sewer grates while the sun shined up, shinied up the rain spouts. He loved the silence and solitude, but he also loved the noise, which came later in the day. He loved the sound of pancake batter hissing on a griddle. He loved the noise of the church they went to on Sunday mornings, a church called Bethany, when the minister would thump on the pulpit and people would call out, Amen, and the choir would sing his way this way and swing that way and would sing hallelujah to the people, and the people would sing hallelujah right back to the choir, and everyone just got happier and happier, and it made him want to do more than run. So one day, he just jumped himself up onto the pew bench and threw up his arms to the sky and shouted at the top of his lungs, hallelujah, amen. And this time, nobody looked funny at the crazy kid yelling by himself. Then two members of his own family, Hester and Lester, jumped onto the bench with him and shouted, hallelujah, amen and everybody laughed and clapped and sang. He loved the 4th of July block party when the whole East End converged for a day and night of games and music and grilled chicken and ribs and sweet potato pie and dancing until the last firecracker and then some. Maniac loved the colors of the East End, the people colors. For the life of him, he couldn't figure out why these East Enders called themselves black. He kept looking and looking and the colors he found were ginger snap and light fudge and dark fudge and acorn and butter rum and cinnamon and burnt orange, but never licorice, which to him was real black. He especially loved the warm brown of Mrs. Beale's thumb as it appeared from under the creamy white icing that she allowed him to lick away when she was frosting his favorite cake. He loved joining all the colors at the vacant lawn and playing the summer days away. Stickball, basketball, football. Half the time he forgot to go home for lunch. One day, a new kid, tall and lean, came to the vacant lot, spinning a football. He spotted Maniac and stepped cold. He came closer, bent over, stared. Then he broke open a billboard grin and called, Hey, everybody, remember I said about that little white dude snatched the pass off me in gym class? Here he is. This is the dude. And this, of course, was hands down. The first thing hands did when they chose up sides was to pick Maniac for his team, you crazy hands, a high schooler laughed. He's just a runt. His beach fuzz ain't even come in yet. Everybody laughed. But hands took him anyway and played quarterback and threw passes to Maniac all day long. They huddled and scratched their play in the dirt. Down in the tin can and break for the goal. Stop and go at the rock. Curl around the junk tree. If hands passes were anywhere near Maniac, if Maniac could get at least two fingertips on it, the ball was as good as caught. The high schoolers and junior hires went crazy trying to stop him. Nobody kept official records that day, but legend has it that by the time Amanda Beale showed up and called, Jeffrey, dinner, Maniac had scored 49 touchdowns. And when they played stickball and they saw him pulling the ball out to the street and into backyards, they started putting two and two together. And somebody came up to him and squinted in his face and said, you that Maniac kid? And somebody else said, you that maniac? And pretty soon everybody was saying it, including Hester and Lester. And finally, in the kitchen one day, 
As he licked the white icing from her thumb, Mrs. Beale said, You that maniac? He told her what he told everyone. I'm Jeffrey. You know me. Because he was afraid of losing his name. And with it, the only thing he had left from his mother and father. Mrs. Beale smiled. Yeah, I know you all right. You'll be nothing but Jeffrey in here. But, she nodded to the door. Out there, I don't know. She was right, of course. Inside his house, a kid gets one name. But on the other side of the door, it's whatever the rest of the world wants to call him. Chapter 15. Maniac's fame spread all over the East End. The new white kid, who lived the Beals at 728 Sycamore, who ran the streets before the fathers went out, who could poleaxe a stickball like a 12th grader and catch a football like hands down, who was allergic to pizza, who jumped up in Bethany Church and shouted, Hallelujah, Amen! Little kids, especially preschoolers, came from all over, bringing them their knots. They had heard about him from Hester and Lester. They had heard he could untie a sneaker knot quicker than a kid could spend a quarter. The bigger kids came around, too, for other reasons. From Moore Street and Arch Street and Chestnut and Green, heading towards the vacant lot to check out the new kid, to test him, to see if anything they'd heard was true, to see how good he really was, and how bad. They found out he could do more with a football than just catch it. He could run like a squirrel. He juked and jived and spun and danced and darted, and he left them squeezing handfuls of air. Pretty soon, the vacant lot was littered with blown sneakers and broken hearts. He didn't do much talking, but he didn't have to. Hands down did it for him. Every time he scored a touchdown or cracked a home run, hands bent over in his face, talking trash. Do it, man. Smoke them suckers. Poke them. Joke them. You bad dude in it. You the baddest. Five me, Jude. And they high-fived and low-fived and back-fived and hands down would laugh and laugh. Maniac loved trash talk. The words were different, but in some strange way, they reminded him of church. It had spirit. It had what they called soul. Pretty soon, he was talking trash with the rest of them. And pretty soon, he brought it home. Mrs. Beale was pressing her famous meatloaf into a baking pan one day when Maniac started talking trash to her. Her eyes shot open. She straightened up. What'd you say? He said some more. At first, she couldn't believe her ears. When she did believe them, she didn't like it. She didn't like this boy bringing the vacant lot into her kitchen, and she didn't like how it fit in his mouth. So she put a stop to it right then and there, and slapped that trash-talking mouth. Her lip started to quiver before his, but before she could say I'm sorry, he was hugging and squeezing her and burying his face into her chest and sobbing, I love you, I love you. And he loved the quiet times after Hester and Lester went to bed. That's when he read Amanda's books. When he had gone through about half of them, he figured it was time to tackle the Encyclopedia A. Problem was, Amanda was always reading it. And she vowed she wasn't giving it up, not even to Maniac, till she read everything from Aardvark to Aztec. To make matters worse, the supermarket offer had expired, so there were no other volumes. The more Amanda would not let go of the A, the more Maniac wanted it. It reached a point where she had to hide it whenever she wasn't reading it. Unbeknownst to her, Maniac always found it. He would give up even earlier in the morning. He would get up even earlier in the morning, read it by flashlight for a while, sneak it back, and go trotting with Bow Wow. And sometimes Maniac just sat at the front window, being on the inside. Maniac loved almost everything about his new life, but everything did not love him back. Chapter 16. Maniac McGee was blind, sort of. 
Oh, he could see objects, all right. He could see a flying football or a John McNabb fastball better than anybody. He could see Mars Bar's foot sticking out, trying to trip him up as he circled the bases for home run. He could see Mars Bar charging from behind to tackle him, even when he didn't have the football. He could see Mars Bar's bike veering for a nearby puddle to splash water on him. He could see things, but he couldn't see what they meant. He could see that Mars Bars disliked him, maybe even hated him. When you think about it, it's amazing all the stuff he didn't see, such as big kids don't like little kids showing them up. And big kids like it even less if another big kid, such as Hands Down, is laughing at them while the little kid is faking them out of their fruit of the looms. And some kids don't like a kid who's different, such as a kid who's allergic to pizza, or a kid who does dishes without being told, or a kid who never watches Saturday morning cartoons, or a kid who's another color. Maniac kept trying, but he still couldn't see it, this color business. He couldn't figure out why he was white any more than the EastEnders were black. He looked himself over pretty hard and came up with at least seven different shades and colors right on his own skin, not one of them being what he would call white, except for his eyeballs, which weren't any whiter than the eyeballs of the kids in the East End. Which was all a big relief to Maniac, figuring out he wasn't really white, because the way he figured, white was about the most boring color of all. But there was, piling up all around him, dislike. Not from everybody, but enough. And Maniac couldn't see it. And then all of a sudden, he could. Chapter 17 It was a hot day in August. It was so hot, if you stood still too long on the vacant lot, the sun bounced off a chunk of broken glass or metal could fry a patch on your hide. So hot, if you were packing candy, you had a soup in your pocket. By two o'clock. So hot, the dogs were tripping on their own tongues. And so hot, the fire hydrant at Green and Chestnut was gushing like Niagara Falls, courtesy of somebody wrenching off the cap. But by the time Maniac and the rest of the vacant lot regulars got there, Chestnut and Green was a cross between a block party and a swimming pool. Radios blaring, people blaring, somebody selling lemonade, somebody selling Kool-Aid ice cubes on toothpicks. Bodies, skin, colors, water, gleaming, buttery, warm, cool, wet, screaming, happy. The younger you were, the fewer clothes you had on. Grown-ups sat on the sidewalk and dangled their bare feet in the running gutters. Teenagers stripped down to bathing suits and cutoffs. Little kids, underwear, littlest kids, nothing. Maniac danced and pranced and screamed with the rest. He learned how to jump in front of the gusher and let it propel him halfway across the street. He joined a snake dance. He got goofy. He drenched himself in all the wet and warm and happy. When he first heard the voice, he didn't think much of it. Just one voice, one voice in hundreds. But then the other voices were falling away in bunches until only this one was left. It was a strange voice, deep and thick and sort of clotted as though it had to fight its way out of a can of worms before coming out. The voice was behind him, saying the same word over and over, calling a name. And even then, Maniac turned because he was curious, wondering what everybody was staring at. But when he saw the brown finger pointed at him, not a speck of icing on it, and the arm that aimed it and the face behind it, he knew the name coming out of the can of worm's mouth was his, Whitey. And it surprised him that he knew. He just stood there blinking through the water drop sun blur, the hydrant gusher smacking his thin bare ankles. The radios, the people were silent. You move out. You move on now, Whitey, the man said. You pick up your gear and move on out. Time to go home now. 
The man was close enough to be catching some water around his shoes, which, Maniac noticed, were actually slippers. His pants were baggy and his shirt wasn't really a shirt, but a pajama top covered with high-tailed roosters. White hair curled around his ears. Maniac gave his answer. I am home. The man took a step closer, dropped his arms. You go on home now, son. Back to your own kind. I seen you at the block party. Now you get going. Maniac stopped out of the gush- stepped out of the gusher. The water roared onto the opposite curb. This is where I live. I live right down there. He pointed towards Sycamore. The man didn't seem to notice. Never enough, is it, Whitey? Just want more and more. Don't even leave us a little water on the street. Come on down and see the Bojangles. Come on to the zoo, the monkey house. He must have been hard of hearing, Maniac thought. So he called it out really loud and slow and pointed again. I live at 728 Sycamore. I do. The old man stepped closer. You got your own kind. It's how you wanted it. Let's keep it that way. Now move on. Your kind's waiting. He flung his finger westward up there. Suddenly, Hester and Lester were by Maniac's side, blinking at him. You leave him alone, you old rag picker. You shut up. And the man was croaking, ranting, not to Maniac now, but to people. What happens when we go over there? Black is black, white is white. The sheep do not lie down with the lion. The sheep know his own, his own kind. A woman was rushing in then, pulling him away up the street. Our own kind, our own kind. The water thudded across the silent street. Maniac, who was one of the world's greatest sleepers, didn't sleep well that night or the next. He started getting up earlier than usual, not to sneak some time with the A-book, just to run. Bow Wow wasn't even getting ready for his morning pee yet, but he went along. Usually Maniac just jogged around the East End. Now he did the whole town, plus over the river to Bridgeport. By the third day, Bow Wow refused to go along. One morning, as Maniac was heading home, Hester and Lester came running up Sycamore. Maniac, come on. We're going to run, too. Let's go that way. They tried to turn him around, but he told them, just hold on a minute. He wanted to stop home for a quick drink. Then he'd go running with them. They kept yelling and tugging and pushing him and grabbing his legs. And then Amanda was pedaling frantically up to him, slapping him with a quick smile and gasping, Hey, I'm going to the store. Want to come along? Maniac checked the sun. It was hardly up to the second stories. Stores aren't open yet, he said. Amanda just gawked. She was a rotten liar, Maniac knew. He shook loose from the little ones and trotted on. He didn't know what, but something was wrong. The little ones jabbered and screeched and grabbed. He ran faster, faster. Mrs. Beale was out in front with the yellow bucket. Soapsuds spilling over the brim, a stiff bristle brush in her hand. She was scrubbing the house, the brick wall, scrubbing furiously at the chalk, grunting with effort, her cheeks wet. He had been way too early, way too fast. Only the F had been scrubbed away. The rest was quite easy to read. The yellow letters, the same color as the scrub bucket. Ishbeli, go home. Chapter 18. Amanda tried to reason with him. You can't listen to that old coot. He's goofy. He's always saying stuff like that. You can't go because of something one nutty old coot says. Maniac pointed out that it wasn't the nutty old coot who chalked up the front of the house. Amanda laughed. That? That's no big deal. It wasn't even paint. If they really meant it, they would have done it in paint. And anyway, don't you know they did my mother a favor? It gave her a chance to get out the old bucket and do some serious scrubbing. Ever since the kids stopped cranning the house, she hasn't known what to do with herself. Now she's happy again. Maniac didn't answer. Amanda didn't understand that most of the hurt he felt was not for himself, but for her and the rest of her family. 
She stomped her foot. You gotta stay. I don't gotta do anything. You'll go. You'll starve. Was I starving before I came here? You'll freeze to death in the winter. Your fingers will get so stiff they'll break off like icicles. I'll go somewhere. Somewhere, like the deer pen? I'll be okay. Or maybe Prairie Dog Town, huh? How about that? She jabbed him. You could live in a gopher hole. You'll be starving, so that would be perfect, because then you'd be so skinny you could just fit right down there all snugly in their tunnels. He shrugged. Sounds cozy. This was driving Amanda bonkers. He was acting so different, all glum, as if he didn't care, not about anything. Yeah, she sniffed. Well, what are you going to do for a pillow, huh? I know you put my pillow on the floor. I'll use a hibernating gopher. Funny. And bathroom, huh? Well, you'd go to the bathroom. The bushes, McDonald's, lots of places. She hated it. An answer for everything. And the scariest part was, he was probably right. If anybody could survive on the loose, it would be this kid who showed up from Holidaysburg, who slept on floors, who outran dogs. He was making her so mad. She pointed at him. She sneered. Well, I'll tell you one thing, buddy boy. You better shut the door on your way out and lock it because if I get to my room, if I get my room back, I'm not giving it up again. So don't ever come crawling back around here. She kicked him in the sneaker. You hear? Don't worry, he said flatly. And don't think you're taking any of my books with you this time either. And you can forget about ever getting a chance to open my Encyclopedia A, which I was almost ready to let you do before you went and started acting all poopy. He said, I'll join the library. She jumped. Ha! You can't. No? No, you need a library card. I'll get one. Ha ha! You can't get a library card without an address. She regretted it as soon as she said it. His head swung. His eyes met hers. His eyes said, why did you say that? Her eyes couldn't answer. He got up and went out and trotted up the street. Amanda cried. She tore a magazine in half. She punched the sofa. She kicked the easy chair. She kicked Bow Wow. Bow Wow went yelping into the kitchen. See, she yelled at the front door. See what you made me do, Jeffrey McGee. Jeffrey, maniac, crazy man, bozo McGee. He wasn't back by lunch. He wasn't back by dinner. I'm going looking, Amanda said to her worried parents. No one tried to stop her. She rode her bike all over. East End, West End. She even went over to Bridgeport. Practically got herself killed on the bridge. She never pedaled so much in her life. She didn't come back till after dark. When her parents headed upstairs to bed, she asked if she could stay up to watch TV. They looked at each other and said, okay. She was nodding off in the middle of some late, late movie when the door opened and in he walked. What are you doing up so late? He said. I'm incubating an egg, she snarled. He shrugged and went upstairs. She closed her eyes and smiled. Next morning, a little kid from three blocks away came knocking at the front door. His yo-yo string had a f- knot as fat as a mushroom. As Amanda watched Maniac tackle the knot, an idea slithered into her brain. When the little kid left with his string as good as new, she said, Jeffrey, if I knew some way that would make it okay for you to stay, would you? What do you mean okay, he said. I mean, that even if there's one or two people who aren't too wild about you now, and that's all there really are, that even they would like you, and everybody else who already likes you, they'll stay like you even more? Purely out of curiosity, Maniac replied. How's all that supposed to happen? Amanda told him about Cobble's Knot. Chapter 19. If if the wonders of the world hadn't stopped at seven, Cobble's Knot would have been number eight. 
Nobody knew how it got there. And the story goes, the original Mr. Cobble wasn't doing too well with the original Cobble's Corner grocery store at the corner of Hector and Birch. In his first two weeks, all he sold was some Quaker Oats and Penny Candy. One morning, as he unlocked the front door for business, he saw the knot. It was dangling from the flagpole that hung over the big picture window, the one that said Frosted Foods in an icy blue and white letters. He got out a pair of scissors and was about to snip it off when he noticed what an unusual and incredible knot it was. And he got an idea. He would offer up a prize to anyone who untangled the knot. Publicize it. Call the newspaper. Winner's picture on the front page. Cobble's corner in the background. Businesses would boom. Well, he went ahead and did it. And if business didn't exactly boom, it must have at least peeped a little. Because eons later, later when Maniac McGee came to town, Cobble's corner was still there. Only now it sold pizza instead of groceries, and the prize was different. It had started out being 60 seconds alone with a candy counter. Now it was one large pizza per week for a whole year. Which, in time, made the knot practically priceless. Which is why, after leaving it outside for a year, Mr. Cobble took it down and kept it in a secret place inside the store and brought it out only to meet a challenger. If you look at old pictures of the Two Mills Times, you will see that the knot is about the size and shape of a lopsided volleyball. It was made of string, but it had more contortions, in and outs, twists and turns, dips and doodles than the brain of Albert Einstein himself. It had defeated all comers for years, including J.J. Thorndike, who grew up to be a magician, and Fingers Holloway, who grew up to be a pickpocket. Hardly a week went by without somebody taking a shot at the knot and losing. And each loser added to the glory that awaited someone who could untie it. So you see, said Amanda, if you go up there and untie Cobble's knot, which I know you can, you'll get your picture in the paper and you'll be the biggest hero around and nobody will mess with you then. Maniac listened and thought about it and finally gave a little grin. Maybe you're just after the pizza since you know I can't eat it. Amanda screeched, Jeffrey, the pizza's not the point. She started to hit him. He laughed and grabbed her wrist, and he said, Okay, I'll give it a try. Chapter 20. They brought out the knot and hung it from the flagpole. They brought out the official square wooden table for the challenger to stand on, and from that moment, Maniac climbed up. You could tell the knot was in big trouble. To the ordinary person, Cobble's knot was about as friendly as a nest of yellow jackets. Besides the tangle itself, there was the weathering of that first year when the knot hung outside and became hard as a rock. You could barely make out the individual strands. It was grimy, moldy, crusted over. Here and there, a loop stuck out, maybe big enough to stick your pinky finger through. Pitiful testimony to the challengers who had tried and failed. And there stood Maniac, turning the knot, checking it out. Some say there was a faint grin on his face, kind of playful, as though the knot wasn't his enemy at all, but an old pal that just playing a trick on playing a little trick on him. Others say his mouth was more grim than grin, that his eyes lit up like flash bulbs because he knew he was finally facing a knot that would stand up and fight a worthy opponent. He lifted it in his hands to feel the weight of it. He touched it here and touched it there, gently, daintily. He scrapped a patch of crust off with his finger. He laid his fingertips on it as though feeling for a pulse. Only a few people were watching at first, and half of them were Hex Angels, a roving tricycle gang of four- and five-year-olds. Most of them had sneaker lace or yo-yo knots untied by Maniac, and they expected that this would only take a couple of seconds longer. When the seconds became minutes, they started to get antsy, and before ten minutes had passed, they were zooming off in search of somebody to terrorize. The rest of the spectators watched Maniac poke and tug at the, and pe- pick at the knot. 
never a big polar yank, just his fingertips touching and grazing and peck, pick pecking away like some little bird. What's he doing? Somebody said. What's taking so long? He gonna do it or not? After an hour, except for the more finger-sized loops, all Maniac had to show for his trouble were the flakes of knot crust that had covered the table. He ain't even found the end of the string yet, somebody grumbled, and almost everybody but Amanda took off. Maniac never noticed. He just went on working. By lunchtime, they were all black, back, and more <clears throat> kept coming. Not only kids, but grown-ups, too. Black and white, because Cobble's Corner was on Hector, and word was racing through the neighborhoods on both the east and the west side of the street. What people saw, they didn't believe. The knot had grown, swelled, exploded. It was a fizzy globe. The newspaper the next day described it as a gigantic hairball. Now, except for a packed-in clump at the center, it was practically all loops. You could look through it and see Maniac calmly working on the other side. He found the end! Somebody gasped, and the corner burst into applause. Meanwhile, inside, Cobbles was selling pizza left and right, not to mention Zepps, a two-mills type of hoagie. Steak sandwiches, strombolis, and gallons of soda. Mr. Cobble himself came out to offer Maniac some pizza, which Maniac, of course, politely turned down. He did accept an orange soda, though, and then a little kid, whose sneaker laces Maniac had untied many a time, handed up to him a three-pack of tasty cake butterscotch crimpets. After polishing off the crimpets, Maniac did the last thing anybody expected. He lay down and took a nap right there on the table, the knot hanging above him like a small hairy planet, the mob buzzing all around him. Maniac knew what the rest of them didn't. The hardest part was yet to come. He had to find the right roots to untangle the mess, or it would just co close up again like a rock and probably stay that way forever. He would need to touch the touch of a surgeon, the alertness of an owl, the cunning of three foxes, and the foresight of a grand master in chess. To accomplish that, he needed to clear his head, to flush away all distraction, especially the memory of the butterscotch crimpets, which had already hooked him. In exactly 15 minutes, he woke up and started back in. Like some fairy tale tailor, he threaded the end through the maze, dipping and doodling through openings the way he squiggled a football through a defense. As long as the afternoon sun boiled along, the exploded, not hairball would cave in here, cave in there. It got lumpy, out of shape, saggy. The Times photographer made starbursts with his camera. A people munched on cobbles pizza and spilled across Hector from sidewalk to sidewalk and said, ooh and ah. And then, around dinner time, a huge roar ran up. A volcano of cheers. Cobblestone's knot was dead, undone, gone. It was nothing but string. Chapter 21. Bugles, cap guns, sirens, firecrackers, war whoops. Cobble's Corner was a madhouse. Traffic had to beep an inch through the mob. Kids cried for autographs. Scraps of paper fluttered down in a shower of homemade confetti. A beaming Mr. Cobble handed up a certificate to Maniac for a year's worth of large pizzas. Maniac accepted it and said his thanks. The unknown knot lay in a coiled heap at Maniac's feet. Mr. Cobble grabbed it. Already people were guessing how long it was. It turned out to be four and a half blocks long. Someone tied it to a stop sign and started walking, and that's how far he got before it gave out. The yelling went on and on, the way yelling does, if only to hear itself. But one person wasn't yelling, Amanda Beale. She was holding one of the homemade confetti scraps, gaping at it. Then she was scrambling across the sidewalk, the street, shoving people's legs aside, grabbing more scraps, crying out, Oh no, oh no! And then she was running. Maniac saw. He leapt from the table. He picked up a scrap. There was printing on it about Africa. He picked up another. This one mentioned ants. Another, Aristotle. 
the Encyclopedia A. He followed the scrap paper trail up Hector and down Sycamore all the way to the Beatles' the Beatles front steps. The only thing left of the book was the blue and red cover. It looked something like an empty loose-leaf binder. Amanda was hunched over, rocking, squeezing it to her chest. It was my fault, she sobbed. I got careless. I left it in the living room. Anybody could look through the window and, and... She clutched her eyes so tightly it was a wonder the tears got out. More than anything, Maniac wanted to hug Amanda and tell her it was okay. He wanted to go inside, be with his family in his house, his room, behind his window. But that wasn't the right thing. The right thing was to make sure the Beals didn't get hurt anymore. He couldn't keep letting them pay such a price for him. He turned and headed up Sycamore. Maybe the man with the can of worms voice was right. Back to your own kind, back to your own kind. He never got farther west than the far curb of Hector Street because McNabb and the Cobras were there to meet him, grinning, leering. Yo, baby, we hear you got a little pizza prize up there. Come on back. We missed you. We've been waiting for you. So he turned and started walking north on Hector, right down the middle of the street, right down the invisible chalk line that divided East End from West End. Cars beeped at him. Drivers hollered, but he never flinched. The Cobras kept right along with him on their side of the street. So did a bunch of East Enders on their side. One of them was Mars Bar. Both sides were calling for him to come over. And then they were calling at each other, then yelling, then cursing. But nobody stepped off the curb. Everybody kept moving north, an ugly, snarling, black-and-white escort for the kid in the middle. And that's how it went. Between the curbs, smack-dab down the center, Maniac McGee walked, not ran, right out of town.